I'm really inspired by watching people blossom as they get rid of this restrictive mentality, this belief that they somehow haven't found the right diet, and they begin to discover the internal expert that was there all the time. I love that because as they free up their energy from that eat, repent, repeat cycle, they can do what they're really passionate about. They can use the fuel that they consume to live a big, vibrant life. And I can't imagine better work for me. That was Dr. Michelle May. And we're talking about mindful eating on episode 18 of the Namely Marley podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. I'm Marley. Thanks so much for joining me today. You know, this is the podcast dedicated to living a creative, healthy, and passion-filled life. Each week, I'm sharing interviews, thoughts, and stories about inspired living. This covers things like diet, plant-based eating, passion, creativity, you name it. Everything to help us learn what it takes to live our life to our best potential. I always think those are easy words to say, but not always easy in the doing part. So I hope this podcast helps. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle May, who is a physician, mindful eating speaker, and recovered yo-yo dieter. Dr. May empowers others to take charge of their lives and end chronic dieting and overeating without feelings of deprivation or guilt. Her authenticity and passion for mindful eating stems from her own personal struggle with food and body image. After years of ineffective yo-yo dieting, she developed a mindful, non-diet approach to food movement and self-care. I welcomed having Dr. May on the show for a couple of reasons. One is, I'm always intrigued by the topic of dieting and weight loss. It's something I think a lot of us have had to deal with for so many years, and finding ways to learn to listen to our bodies and to eat more instinctively, as uh, Michelle May talks about in our interview, is I think it's just so important. Also, it gives me the opportunity to combine worlds. I used to work for the American Academy of Family Physicians, where I actually had the opportunity to meet Dr. May and to work with her directly. I worked for a while in the public health division, and one of the projects I was involved in was traveling around the country and measuring family physicians' body fat percentages and BMI. It was such a smart campaign, like kind of like doctor's first heal thyself way of thinking. I love that approach. Speaking of love, I think you're going to love this interview with Dr. May. She is the award-winning author of the book, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. It's a mindful eating program to help you break what she calls your eat, repent, repeat cycle. I think I've been a partner, a participant in that cycle more than a couple of times. Anyway, her book has received so many awards for publishing for things like Best Health Book, Best Body, Mind, Spirit Book, Best Nutrition Book, and Best Health self-help book. <laughs> See if I can say that right. Yeah. Um, Michelle's also the co-author of F is for Fitness and three other books that encourage healthy attitudes and behaviors in young children. So you can see that her heart is right in all of this. I mean, it's it's amazing, her dedication to this topic. And, uh, you know, one thing that drives me crazy was when people write books about weight loss, and they've never really had to deal with that themselves. 
Michelle shares candidly about her struggles with weight, and she talks about her approach to discovering mindful eating throughout that process. Reading Michelle's book has definitely had an impact on me. And in fact, being more mindful just in general is a goal of 2016. Um, I'm even like, you know, thinking of things, you know, just when I'm doing the dishes, rather than thinking of the thousands of things I've got to get done that day or having conversations with people, you know, in my head or whatever. I'm trying to just be more present, be more in the moment uh, when I'm cooking, when I'm in the kitchen, when I'm uh, doing just daily tasks, just to be present, to be mindful. And I do think that carries over to when I'm eating as well. So if I can stay focused on the food on my uh, plate and how I feel about it and whether I'm actually hungry and should continue eating rather than just like plowing through and cleaning out that plate. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I can tell you from experience that I've really found Michelle's book to be helpful and uh, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll love it as much as I have. So let's get straight to it. Here's today's feature interview with Dr. Michelle May. Hey everyone, I'm happy to have Dr. Michelle May, author of Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat, on the show today. Michelle, welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. So glad to be with you, Marley. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today about this whole mindful approach to eating because it's really, I mean, to be completely honest, it's something that I've read your book and it's really helped me a lot and I can't wait to talk to people about it. And um, But I just thought it might be helpful for everybody to get a little bit of a glimpse into your background and I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, what caused you to write this book. You know, um, I was a family physician. I was practicing medicine Uh, But my struggle with eating had really started many, many, many years prior to that. So when I was in middle school, I was on my first really big diet, and I yo-yoed all the way through middle school, high school, college, medical school, and into my practice. And I I really thought that I just hadn't found the right diet, or I didn't have enough willpower, or eventually I'd get it right. Except that when I went into my practice, I kept hearing a very similar story from many of my patients. They would try some new plan and they would lose weight and then they'd gain it back and then they'd feel horrible. They'd gain everything back but their self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I thought to myself, gosh, you know, it's not just me. Um, These are intelligent, accomplished, amazing people that I'm taking care of in my practice, and yet we're all struggling with the same issue. And it really caused me to wonder if maybe it wasn't me, but really the approach that we were using. And then I had children. (laughs) (laughs) And I started to really observe their natural, healthy, excited relationship with food. Food was not their enemy. They loved to eat, but they didn't think about food when they weren't hungry. It just was a non-issue for them. And I really began to think, gosh, I wonder if I was like that at some point in my life. And And I began to notice that most children start out that way. And some people, some adults maintain that approach to food But those of us who've struggled with yo-yo dieting have a very different relationship with food. And that's really how my whole passion for this work started. Well, and I'm so glad that you, you know, it sounds to me like you've kind of studied, I don't know if it's the science of it or, you know, maybe it's, uh, I guess that is even science when you're doing things on a qualitative basis. But, you know, you're 
you're really paying attention to those because I, I kind of feel like I've been on that same trend as well. Not not from a doc, a physician's approach, but you know, I watch people who I think are naturally that's air quotes <laughs> skinny, and mm-hmm. I I notice that they do seem to have a set of rules around how they eat that kind of guides them. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that because I think that was really the big aha for me, and it eventually became something that I call the mindful eating cycle. So if I could just put a big umbrella term over the kind of work I do, I really teach people how to eat mindfully. Now, the problem is that that since, you know, the last few years, that phrase has been kind of co-opted by some to mean healthy eating and um, obsessed eating. (laughs) You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Mindful eating is at its very simplest level, eating with intention and attention. And the intention for somebody who manages their eating effortlessly is that they seem to, on some level, want to feel better when they're done eating than they did when they started. Mm. So think about that. If their intention for eating is to feel better when they're done than they did when they started, then they are more likely to eat when they feel hungry. They will eat foods that they enjoy They'll eat foods that leave them feeling good. They will eat without guilt and shame. They will stop eating when they've had enough, even if there's food left. And then they will go out and use their energy to live their life and not spend all their time obsessing about food or what they ate or what they wish they could eat or hiding the evidence, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's that natural relationship with food. I call it instinctive eating. And I think that every one of us was born with that ability to manage our eating very instinctively. So I don't think that they follow conscious rules. I think that they just let their mindful eating cycle is driven really by their need for fuel and their need for pleasure. And that little balance, that careful balance is very instinctive and natural for them. What about people who feel like they get the pleasure from the eating? So my husband's a professional chef. <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> yes, lucky me. And my parents own three Mexican restaurants. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I would consider I would consider myself a foodie. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people that I know who manage their eating instinctively also love food. So loving food is not incompatible with having a healthy relationship with food. In fact, I would say that we probably need to learn to love food more, not mm. less. You know, think about, let's, so, so your, your question was, well, what about people who get pleasure from eating? Yay, that's awesome. Yeah. And I want to, I want to have it, take it away from food for just a second and compare it to um, your children or, or your partner, somebody that you really care about and love. When you love someone you want to spend quality time with them. You want to engage in a conversation. You want to be with them. If you're eating and watching TV at the same time, you're not fully engaged in food. And you wouldn't do that with another person, or at least if you did, you can expect that that relationship would be less than optimal. And that's exactly what happens with food, is that people say they love food, but we don't really eat it in a way that shows that we love it. We don't give it our full attention. We don't eat it with the intention of feeling good and having a 
a, a positive relationship, we get so much into the pleasure that we forget that afterward we're going to feel miserable. Part of mindful eating is not just being mindful of the food as we eat it, but also being mindful of our body and how it's going to feel. And so that we have this kind of intuitive understanding of how this works. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think if you, you know, if you were being honest with yourself, or I was being honest with myself when I say that I love eating, it's like, you know, wouldn't I want to savor it and, and, you know, enjoy each bite and not kind of rush through it and clean my plate? (laughs) Right, right. So, so that's oftentimes what happens is we love that first bite, maybe the second bite, it's really tasting good. And then we sort of go into mindlessness and we begin to eat fast or we start reading or watching TV or even having a conversation and we become distracted from what's actually going on. And so the rest of the meal is oftentimes not conscious or, or only semi-conscious. Right. And so we can get to the end of the meal and feel stuffed but strangely unsatisfied yes. because our, our cognitive part of our brain wasn't present for the experience. Oh, that's amazing. And another thing that I, I have found that I really like about this mindful eating approach is that um, I feel so much more relaxed when I'm eating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, relaxation has kind of been the, the key to my kind of my mantra over the last couple of months, because it feels like the more I can be relaxed um, in whatever I'm doing and mindful in what I'm doing, then I, I actually accomplish more and, and, and feel good about it afterwards. You know, that's a great point, Marley, because I think a lot of people, especially in Western culture, are under the impression that you can do lots of things at the same time and that the more productive you are, the the more successful you are. But that actually turns out not to be the case. What really happens in the brain is that when we're doing multiple things at the same time, we either task shift very quickly, so our brain is going back and forth from one task to the other, mm-hmm. or something goes on autopilot while our brain attends to the more novel activity. So if I could take this into the context of eating again, if you're eating, let's say, pizza that you've had thousands of times before in your lifetime and you're watching a brand new episode of whatever your favorite show is let's (laughs) say scandal right yeah so you're watching this thing that you've never seen and you're eating this pizza that you've eaten a thousand times you might have a bite or two and think oh i love pizza and begin to eat it mindlessly and your brain goes yep we love pizza we know what pizza tastes like it tastes kind of like it did last time but what's going on over here and so our brain (laughs) will be focused on the novel activity, not on the pizza. So we get to the end and we don't feel like we really experienced it, except we don't realize that that's what the disconnect is. We kind of think, you know what? I think I just need a little more. That's what I need. I just need more of that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And And that principle, as you pointed out, applies to all aspects of our lives, not just eating. I mean, I think that a lot of the work I do around mindful eating for many people is a doorway into mindful living. It's a way that they begin to discover how very calming, relaxing, peaceful, joyful, and connected you feel when you're eating mindfully. And might that same effect occur 
if you're moving your body mindfully or having a conversation mindfully or working mindfully or spending time with your partner mindfully. I think that all of these things ha- are, are, give us an entirely different and much richer experience. Oh, it's so true. I I definitely can attest to that just based on what I've gone through. And it's very surprising to me because I feel like I'm a a multitasker aholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, welcome. Welcome to America. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this yeah. concept of doing one thing at a time and really being mindful of it is is mm-hmm. a kind of a new thing for me, but I'm actually surprised at how much better I feel. But um, I want to tell you something that I find that I don't like about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Then that is, as I'm eating um, and I'm being mindful, I get full much quicker, and therefore I'm <laughs> I'm disappointed by this food that's left over on my plate. <laughs> so that's so funny that you yes. say that because I actually hear that a lot, and I really understand it. Um, it's hard to get your money's worth at a buffet. Yeah, oh <laughs> right? for sure. So so let me let me just qualify a couple of things because I want to I want to be clear that mindfulness doesn't mean sitting in a quiet room eating with a gong. You know, we're not talking about <laughs> and going you um know, uh, you <laughs> yeah. do not that does not have to be what mindful eating is. Mindfulness is simply awareness of the present moment. And so yeah. when you notice that you're mindless, you're being mindful. In other words, the moment that you notice that you have become distracted or you're eating fast or you're reading the side of the cereal box or whatever it is, the moment you notice that you've become distracted, you're mindful again. So that's one piece that's really important. Mindfulness is a practice because the mind itself is a, is a very busy organ. Its job is to think. And I think that sometimes people misunderstand mindfulness that you have to clear your mind completely. That's not going to happen. In fact, for many of us, the habit, the habit of mind is to follow trains of thought wherever they go and not even be conscious that we've gotten on board. Right. So mindfulness is simply about noticing the train of thought and making a decision about whether you want to get on or even get off and bringing yourself back to the present moment over and over and over again. With practice, there's less of that, they call it monkey mind, right? right? There's less of that monkey mind and your mind can focus more easily on that. In terms of the enjoyment of food, when you're really present to your body, it, you'll find that it really takes much, much less food to satisfy you mm-hmm. than when you're mindless. And I think the reason for that, going back to the science of this, is that satiety, the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of having eaten, is not just stomach fullness but it is also the, the satisfaction of eating food that you've enjoyed and being mm. present for that experience. And so when you're mindful, the combination of that awareness and how your body is feeling leads to satiety, and you get that satiety much sooner. When you're mindless and you're not attuned to the flavors of the food and, and what's going on, then you're depending on your stomach to be full and your plate to be clean. And so, of course, in our abundant food environment, we're eating too much food because the portion sizes are huge and our plates are oh, big yes. and our packages are big. And right. 
we're not noticing. So of course we eat too much. And so mindfulness does really cause us to notice, wow, <laughs> I guess I didn't need as much as I thought I did. And then you start taking less, you know, buying less, sharing meals, um, maybe not having appetizer or main dish and dessert. You know, you start becoming more selective, um, just knowing that you're going to really enjoy what you get and not really focus on uh, quantity instead of quality. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that uh, instead of these external cues like, um, is the show over yet? Or, um, uh, you know, is my plate empty? Or, you know, those kinds of things are really kind of external. I start to pay attention to internal cues, you know, about whether I'm full or whether I need to continue eating. That's exactly right. Exactly. Oh, that's really good. I, I, I love that. And I, I think, you know, for me, um, I like what you were just saying, the thing I have really enjoyed about this approach is rather than thinking about the amount of calories that might be on my plate, I can now focus on, you know, I can actually, you know, if I like a little mayo on my veggie burger or whatever, mm -hmm. I don't feel bad about doing that because I'm, I may not eat the whole thing anyway. Um, I, I would rather eat it in a way that I find real enjoyment. Fantastic. So that's why my book is called Eat What You Love yes. and Love What You Eat. I mean, that's exactly the message is that, so, you know, going back to my story and really how this all evolved, so I could see that my children ate instinctively, that they had these natural internal cues of hunger and satiety. They enjoyed their food. They loved food, but yeah. they they didn't try to use food for all of their pleasure or all of their entertainment. It was just part of the bigger picture of living their fun little lives, right? Yes, yes. And I noticed that when I was in my overeating stages, because I would kind of vacillate back and forth, but when I was in my phases of overeating, I realized that my reason for eating or continuing to eat really wasn't so much about what my body needed, but it was really about those emotional and external cues you know, what was going on in the environment? What was, you know, what's the special of the day? Is the movie over? Um, you know, a party, a, a, a sporting event, whatever it was, it was all this other external stuff and all of these emotions, the most common ones being stress and boredom, which is ironic, right? Stress yes. is having too much to do and boredom right. is not having enough to do. Yet food somehow fixes both, right? <laughs> <laughs> the cure-all. Yeah, exactly. And so here's the problem is that when hunger doesn't tell us to start eating, how do you know when to stop? Right. I mean, it, it, it's oh, not yes. about the body's needs for food. At that point, it's about, you know, clean your plate so you can earn dessert or you know, there are starving children wherever, yeah. you know, I mean, there's all these messages yes. that we unconsciously hold that drive us to eat food that we don't need. So the, the enemy isn't the food. The food was never the problem. And so I think this is kind of where I really diverge from a lot of what's going on in the in the in our country these days about how we're going to solve these problems and that is that food was not ever the problem, really. Right. What the problem was, was being disconnected from our body's needs and, and how we really want to feel. As you become more conscious of those things, 
then you begin to make choices that really beautifully balance eating for nourishment and eating for enjoyment. And you'll discover that there are some foods that might taste kind of good, but they don't leave you feeling good. And so they become sort of, yeah, they're not bad foods, but they just leave you feeling bad. So why bother with them? I mean, tortilla chips would be a great example. I love tortilla chips, but if I eat, I can have a couple, but if I eat too many, <clears throat> my stomach is messed up for a while after that. <laughs> I don't feel Oh, good. wow. See, and I would say for tortilla chips, I love tortilla chips. <laughs> I have no problem with it. Remember, my parents own Mexican restaurant. Yeah, that's <laughs> so right. Really good salsa and some tortilla chips. But, you know, here in my old diet days, so that's the other cycle that I want to talk about. So we've got this instinctive eating cycle. We have this overeating cycle that's being driven by these external triggers and emotions, mm-hmm. which of course drive us to eat certain foods. We, if we're eating because we're uncomfortable, then we eat comfort foods. If we're eating because we're bored, then we eat food that kind of entertains us, right? Yes. So why you're eating drives every decision that follows. And then there's this third eating cycle that I call restrictive eating. And restrictive eating is this rule-based eating that is all about being good or being bad. And this, this kind of a pattern, although that's been the predominant message over the last couple of decades, is really backfiring. Because when we make food the enemy, it puts us in conflict with something that is fundamentally essential to our survival. And in our abundant food environment, the ability to gain pleasure from eating and the pleasure that we get from connecting with others around food and the pleasure that we get from having foods that we loved as a child or Mm -hmm. novel foods at a restaurant. I mean, these are very inherently pleasurable experiences. And so restrictive eating really puts you in conflict with something that is fundamentally normal and healthy to have these connections with food. And so I don't think that it's about weighing and measuring and counting calories and logging everything in. I think it's about becoming more conscious about how your body feels, noticing how food affects you, having the foods that you really love in, a, in an amount that leaves you feeling good, not, not the other pattern, which is to say, I can't have it, I can't have it, I can't have it, and then oh, the forget it, I'm eating it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I call it the eat, repent, repeat cycle. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. <laughs> For me, that, that sounds like, don't eat the brownie, don't eat the brownie, don't eat the brownie, and then I eat the whole pan of brownies. <laughs> Exactly. And that's exactly so. So contrast that with a person who eats instinctively, who has that healthy relationship with food. Now, they they might be they may not like brownies, or they may not like the way brownies make them feel, or they might make a choice not to eat them. And that's fine. That's completely up up to them. Mm -hmm. But if they do like brownies, they eat one when they really, really, really want it. They don't they don't, they don't have this big battle in their head that then drives deprivation. Yeah. So this is really, I think this is a fundamental um, principle that many of us have personally experienced, yet it seems to have escaped the health wellness field entirely. And that is, not entirely, that's not true, because there are a lot of people who really right. understand this now. I can see that, that this is catching on. But think about what happens. 
don't eat the brownie, don't eat the brownie, don't eat the brownie. What you're doing is you're putting that brownie up on a pedestal. Yes. You're actually giving it more power. You're focused on it more. When you're telling yourself not to eat the brownie, your, bra- your mind has to hold brownie in its presence to be able to remember yes. not to eat it. Right? Yes. It's like you're focused entirely on the brownie. Exactly, yes. exactly. And so that focus actually creates cravings and feelings of deprivation. Mm. And so you combine these, these feelings of deprivation and these very powerful cravings with stress or boredom, maybe hunger, mm. maybe being home alone, anxiety, you know, whatever yes, it is, yeah. anxiety. And now all of a sudden, as soon as you break that restraint, then whatever, oh, I've already blown it. I might as well just keep eating the brownies because I'm not going to get them tomorrow. So I'm going to eat as much as I can. Then that wonderful brownie goes from being a wonderful brownie that I can enjoy and that I love to misery and guilt and feeds the cycle. And in fact, it feeds the belief that, see, I can't control myself around brownies. I shouldn't have them. And see, this is the problem is that the whole concept actually is self-reinforcing because the more I restrict and deprive myself, the more likely I am to overeat that food, the more likely I am to believe that I am addicted to it or I'm out of control or it is bad and I can't have it in my body. And so I go back to restricting and depriving, which actually creates the very circumstance that I'm most afraid of. Wow. It's, it's a cycle. It is a cycle, the eat, repent, repeat cycle, as a matter <laughs> oh, of fact. Right. Exactly. And it's interesting that you say that because I have actually noticed that in myself. Like, you know, there's a certain kind of granola bar that just has my number. I'm, I'm pretty good with a lot of things now, but... Um, and I, I have found myself saying, I wish that we just wouldn't buy this granola bar because I can't control myself when I'm around it. And I, I realized in that moment when I thought that, it was very childish. Mm-hmm. Like I, It's like I'm, I'm thinking of myself <laughs> as a child because I don't have control. I want somebody else to control it for me. Okay, beautiful. So, so let's go back to these cycles that I was talking about. So, so when we are overeating, we feel like we're out of control. We've yes. lost control. I can't control myself. I need a diet. Don't buy it. Don't go to that party. Eat before you go to the party. Whatever it is, right. we set up all of this, these fear-based rules around food that are really based on something that we've observed in ourselves, but we've misinterpreted, right? right? Mm-hmm. So we set up all these control rules. Now... So we, so what ends up happening is we go from being in control on the diet, following the rules, being good, don't eat that granola bar, don't eat those brownies, don't, 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 don't. And so it's that yo-yo, you know, you hear that term yo-yo dieting, Yes. your yo-yo is all wound up tight, and you've got it all under control. And there's no string, there's no flexibility, there's no, there's no, no, no room, no leash, right? Yes. And then all of a sudden, you say, okay, forget it. It's the holidays or, oh, those brownies smell so good. Or, oh, why did you buy those granola bars? I can't control myself around yeah. them. And the yo-yo starts unraveling all the way back down to the bottom. Yeah. And so that's yo-yo dieting. And it goes up and down and up and down. Except a yo-yo doesn't really stop in the middle. This is where most people get stuck is they are on their way on their diet or they're on their way off the diet. There's really no in between. 
And so mindful eating is about changing that paradigm altogether. You let the yo-yo roll all the way out to the bottom and you turn it into a pendulum instead. So you let it swing back and forth and back and forth. And in that range, you might sometimes undereat, you might sometimes overeat. You might sometimes, you know, eat a really balanced diet, no granola bars, no brownies, <laughs> simply right. because you're not in the mood for them. They don't have any power over you. Right. And then you might say, hey, you know, I really would love a brownie or two. And you do, and there's no guilt, there's no shame. And over time, your pendulum can find a smaller arc in the middle. That arc is what I call being in charge, so it's not about being in control. It's about being in charge. That means that no matter what shows up in my food environment, I'm in charge of making a decision at any given time about whether I'm going to have it or not have it. It has no power over me. I don't have to try to resist it. I can have it if I want. And therefore, I don't eat it because I don't want it at that particular time. And so being in charge is a very different experience from trying to hold on tight, which is about being in control. And the opposite of being in control is out of control. In charge is simply about choosing, not cheating. Oh, that's really powerful is what that comes across to me. Like um, I can imagine you know, myself a people pleaser or, or at least trying to uh, get over being a people pleaser. I think you're letting everybody else be in control and finding ways to be in charge of your own life and diet is, wow, that's just very powerful. Well, and it's the only thing that's going to work, Marley, because, yeah. you know, we can, we can point to the food industry. We can talk about how bad fast food is. We can talk about all the big portion sizes. We can talk about all of these things until we're blue in the face. Yeah. And, and hopefully there are people that are working on, on that. But I think ultimately the only person I have any control over whatsoever is my own self. And so if I can be in charge of my decisions and stop trying to control everything that I do, now I have freedom and flexibility. Food doesn't have power over me anymore. And so I begin to make choices based on how I want to feel so it's, it's really, this is kind of the crux of it. It's not about being good. It's about feeling good. And through mindfulness, I gain awareness about how it feels to eat certain foods and what it's like to eat in a social environment without worrying about paying penance. It, see, that's the other thing we didn't even talk about is, you know, think about how many people use exercise as punishment for eating yeah. or to earn the right to eat. You know, these are fundamental things that contribute to our health, how you, how you move your body and the choices that you make day to day in your eating. But if, if all of this is about a calorie exchange, then we're missing the point. You know, we're missing the entire point of being healthy, which is to enjoy our lives, not to spend all of our lives counting our calories and our, our exchanges, our points, our grams or whatever it is you're counting. 
Yeah, I talk about focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, I can I, I can absolutely see that now after a month of, I have to tell you, it takes a little bit of a, a, a step of faith to believe in this because, it, you know, I think we've all been so inundated with this calorie in and calorie out and, you know, have you burned enough to be able to eat that? And so this mm -hmm. is this more mindful approach feels a little like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to walk out on this platform and I hope it's there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's scary. And I yeah. think, I think the, the pendulum model is very helpful there too. Yes, so absolutely. you have to understand if your pendulum has been swinging very widely from restrictive eating to overeating, then I think we have to give ourselves a little grace because it's, yeah. not, it's not going to suddenly stop in the middle. In fact, the goal is never to stop in the middle. The goal is to have flexibility between those, those poles of what I eat and what I don't eat and how much I eat and when I eat and all of these other decisions that we're making. And so I often say, you know, it, there is a bit of trust in the process and part of it is just awareness. So if you make a mistake, instead of beating yourself up, I mean, you didn't, you didn't blow it. You didn't right. break any rules. All you did was learn something. Oh, I get it. Yes. When I eat you know, grandma's apple pie that I only get once a year, I tend to overeat. So that's interesting to know and, and to kind of file that information away for next time. You know, right. it's not about shame and guilt. It's about learning. It's about understanding how I respond to different situations. I love that. And can we talk for a minute about um, hunger? Because I think that's one thing I've noticed um, when when I've talked to other people who struggle with their weight, it seems like I've, I hear this a lot. I'm hungry all the time. And mm -hmm, I'm, I'm just mm -hmm. curious, um, are there some cues that people can look for to help them understand if they're actually hungry or not? Yeah, that's actually such an important, such an important question that I actually named my company after that. <laughs> my, yes. company is, my company is called Am I Hungry? Because I think um, asking the question, am I hungry, is really opening the door into what's going on inside. Mm. So if we take a step back and we think about people who eat instinctively, their entire eating cycle is primarily driven based on their body's need for fuel. And the way our body indicates its fuel level is through hunger. So I think a good analogy is to think of yourself, let's say, getting in the car to go on a long car trip you might see a gas station and you might think to yourself, all right, do I need to stop and get gas before I go on? And the next thing you do is check your fuel gauge. You wouldn't just pull into every gas station you see and fill up. Right. So asking the question, am I hungry, is really about checking your fuel gauge. What's going on in my body right now? Is this desire to eat or this thought of eating, is that about wanting food or needing food? And so when you pause to check your fuel gauge, you're simply noticing what's going on so you can then make a decision about, about whether this is the best time for you to eat. Now, as you said, there are definite physical cues and the easiest ones to identify because actually hunger is a little more complex than this, but let's Let's just focus on the symptoms of your stomach and the symptoms of your blood sugar. So when your stomach is empty, you might experience hunger pangs or emptiness or hollowness or grumbling or growling, right? Mm -hmm. 
when your blood sugar is dropping, you might notice that it's harder to focus. Maybe you get a little irritable or hangry. Um, maybe you f- find it harder to be productive, harder to focus. You're thinking more and more about food. And so all of these symptoms are really your body's way of saying, my fuel level's low. Hello, my fuel level's getting low. Pay attention. And it's not hunger, yes or no. It's I'm a little bit hungry or I'm really hungry. There's, there's a, you know, we use a hunger and fullness scale that gives us some sort of fine tuning to tell. Because the truth is that if we get too hungry and we ignore these symptoms until we're really, our blood sugar's really low and our brain isn't processing fully, then that can be a risky time for overeating. Because at that point, our brain's just, you know, all it can think about is getting its fuel level back up again. So it is important to check in with yourself regularly, especially until this becomes natural and instinctive again. It is important to check in and notice. However, if you really, 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 really want to eat something, that was the four really test, whether you're hungry or not, you can eat it. I mean, you're not asking the question, am I hungry, to decide whether you're allowed to eat. You're asking the question, am I hungry, to figure out why you want to. Because you're in charge. Absolutely, exactly. So you're in charge. Now, if you really, 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 really want the brownie, whether you're hungry or not, you can you can have the brownie if you want it. And you're better off having the brownie when you want it than to resist, resist, resist and deprive and deprive and deprive and then and then eat the whole pan. (laughs) Now, on the other hand, as you become more conscious, what you'll notice is that actually brownies taste better when you're hungry. <laughs> My grandmother used to say hunger is the best seasoning. Oh, that's great. And what I isn't that beautiful? Yes. I, and what I realized is gosh, hunger, we actually get more enjoyment out of food when we're hungry. And so waiting to eat isn't about deprivation, it's about wanting to enjoy the food even more. So if you say I really 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 want the brownie, but I'm not hungry yet, and when I get hungry, if I still want it, that's what I'm going to have. And all of a sudden, all the angst and resistance and willpower, all that stuff kind of goes away because you're in charge. Uh, and, you know, what's beautiful about that is, is willpower is something that uh, I think is hard to have when you need it. Like, you know, um, I can't always rely on that. Let me just say it that way. Whereas if I'm in charge and I'm asking myself those questions and staying in, in touch with myself, that is something I feel like I can rely on. Yes, and that's so true because this is this is something that they've discovered over the last decade or so with a lot of studies. Willpower, as it turns out, is a limited resource. It runs out. And, and it doesn't just run out when you resist food. It runs out when you don't scream at the people in traffic. It runs out when you're using willpower to get your work done, when you would rather be outside enjoying the beautiful weather. Yeah. You're, you're using up your willpower all day long. And so you can't yeah. depend on it being there at the end of the day when you're exhausted and hungry and tired and all of the other things that are going on. That's when you need it most, but it's already depleted. Uh, and yeah. so why use it up? for not eating food when you need it for other things like not yelling at your boss. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not having road rage, yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's really good and I think that's um, really powerful advice for people. And I like uh, in your book, 
that you actually give some examples of things that can help you determine if you're hungry or maybe maybe it was a list of things that you could do if if really what you are is bored or, or you know seeking some entertainment there are, you actually provide a list of things that I don't know, like maybe I could look through this list, I could create my own list and say, okay, if I, I'm gonna go jump on my mini trampoline for just a few minutes just to kind of get myself going or maybe go for a walk or those things. And then if I'm still hungry, I'll know that I'm, you know, that it's time to eat. Right, and so that's, I think that's really important. And I like what you said about creating your own list because ultimately my purpose in this work is not to be the expert. My purpose is to guide you to become the expert in yourself. I don't want you to need this on the on-go. I don't want you to have to weigh in at a meeting every week or every month. I don't want you to have to log your stuff into my app for the rest of your life. That's not the point. The point is to reacquaint you with the skills that you were born with, to teach you how to, to know what your body is telling you, and then to be able to extend those skills into other aspects of your life. You see... Eating when you're hungry is a beautiful, pleasurable, enjoyable, purposeful experience. And noticing that you want to eat for some other reason can be a very helpful clue as well. Ah, I want to eat. I know I'm not hungry. I must be bored or I think I'm stressed or I must need a break or I need a glass of water or whatever it is. And then using that clue to help you meet your true needs. Ultimately, that's what makes us a healthy, vibrant person is when we begin to be able to listen to what our body's telling us and and meet those needs appropriately instead of trying to use brownies to meet every single need that I have. You know, that's just that's just not going to work. And I will say that some people overdiet the same way they overeat. They're not eating the brownies. And they spend so much of their time not eating brownies that they're still not living their life. What's the point of that? Yes, I get that point that, you know, leaves you feeling unsatisfied, which it probably kind of feeds into that um, feeling hungry all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so that you, you asked about that, you know, some people will say, I feel hungry all the time. And so I like to differentiate physical hunger, the need for fuel from the desire to eat. And so I would encourage you when you say, I'm hungry all the time, that you modify that to say, I want to eat all the time. Mm -hmm. And then when you want to eat, differentiate, do I want to eat because I need food or do I want to eat because I need something else? Mm. When When a craving doesn't come from hunger, eating will never satisfy it. So when a craving doesn't come from hunger, eating can't satisfy it. And so That's why you can eat so much food when you're not really hungry. And that's because you're filling the wrong bucket. (laughs) You know, know, it just doesn't work. Yes. And that is that that is really right there. That is probably um, a lot of what people are looking for is like they want to feel that craving and food has just been the thing they've gone to. So I, I mean, I can speak from my own perspective. You know, you go to food so much. So, you know, you kind of create that reward cycle, I guess, as you were saying before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, this is, this is not, this is really not about us being weak willed. I mean, again, I was in, I was a physician and yeah. I took care of patients who were vice presidents of companies and principals of schools and mothers of four and right. fathers of three, you know, I mean, they're smart people. This is not a knowledge gap. 
This is just a complete misunderstanding of the role that food is supposed to play in our lives. Eating is for fueling living. If you're spending so much of your life either focused on food and what you can eat and eating food all the time, and and it's crowding out Mm -hmm. the way that you can care for yourselves, as you said, taking a walk, doing other things, Um, or if your whole focus is on not eating food or being good, then is is there room enough in your life for the health that you supposedly value so much? I think sometimes people spend so much time getting healthy that they don't have any time left over to enjoy being healthy. That's very, very true. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like um, this whole mindfulness approach has really helped me a lot um, because I don't know that I actually realized like this river of emotion that is like under the surface a lot of the times that if I don't ever touch in with that, I actually don't know how much that's guiding the steps that I'm taking. So for me, taking a few moments throughout the day just to like, be still, take a deep breath, and just kind of connect with myself a little bit has helped me tremendously. Yeah, it's really powerful. You know, yeah. I think we, we sort of get afraid or we learn to ignore or push down our emotions. Yeah. But emotions are really, you know, they're really in, important information for us. They right. give us information about how we're responding to a situation, maybe mm-hmm. clues about what our needs are. Maybe, maybe ties us into memories that we have or other kinds of things. And when we're, when we're using food, and for some people, I get it, it might not be food. Right. So you could, fill in, you could fill in drugs, alcohol, shopping, working, perfectionism, some of the things that our culture really values. Um, we, you know, a lot of people, they're getting a lot of positive feedback for you know, being super thin or uber healthy or yes. a workaholic or having a perfect home. And yes, you can spend your energy on the, your time and your energy on those things. But ultimately, living a big, vibrant life is about having a balance, a beautiful harmony of all of these things so that ultimately we're in touch with our emotions, that we're comfortable being quiet for a moment, noticing what our body is trying to tell us noticing some of those trains of thought that keep pulling into the station. We keep getting on board and going places that we don't want to be, you know, I mean, this is, you know, it's a big, it's a big topic and it's a, and it's, I realize it's a lot harder than, you know, than maybe clean eating. But, but the truth of the matter is what we're really trying to get at here is that food should be an amazing, beautiful and nourishing part of our lives And the more you get that healthy relationship with food, the more it takes care of itself, the less likely you are to want to binge on a bag of potato chips or, you know, whatever it is. It's just, it sort of loses its power over you because now it's just one way that you get pleasure in your life, not the only way. Oh, that is just so beautiful. And I, I think I could talk with you about this all day long. But, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to wind this down so people can take this in and maybe uh, reach out to you if they have more questions. But absolutely, I would just wanted to ask a couple of fun, quick questions here at the end of the interview. So what's one food item you can't live without? <laughs> Speaking of food? <laughs> Gosh, um, 
Man, when I was doing a lot of yo-yo dieting, I would have said chocolate. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I love my chocolate. But gosh, I... mm, Don't make me pick one. (laughs) That's kind of unfair, huh? (laughs) It is totally unfair. It's totally unfair. All right, I'll pick chocolate. Okay, I like chocolate too. It's (laughs) it's funny, I saw this video of little kids trying dark chocolate for the first time, and it's just hilarious. But So do you have a preference for the kind of chocolate you like? Um, I actually love some dark chocolates and some yes. I don't. Um, you know, that's, and that's been sort of the beauty. I, I, you, you have my books, so you know, but all of my books have chocolate on the cover. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that's an appropriate answer. I you know, I, I think it's, it, I, there's just some chocolates I absolutely love and some that I've just kind of grown to realize, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. not worth bothering with, you know. <laughs> That's good. So um, we've talked a little bit about um, healthy living and I'm just curious, do you have a favorite workout that you do? So I don't work out per se, mm-hmm. but I live um, in Phoenix next to an extensive trail system. And so I love to hike and I, and I hike regularly. I'm also a yogi, so I love, love, love yoga. So those are those two things that I I gravitate toward for balance in my life. I love that because basically what you're saying is that it's not like a workout that's a separate part of your life. It's part of, you know, who you are. In some absolutely. Ways. I absolutely. That would have been easy for me to say to you. I couldn't live without my hiking and my yoga. I just oh. absolutely love them. Oh, that's great. So what inspires you? I'm really inspired by watching people blossom as they get rid of this restrictive mentality, this belief that they somehow haven't found the right diet, and they begin to discover the internal expert that was there all the time. I love that because as they free up their energy from that eat, repent, repeat cycle, they can do what they're really passionate about. They can use the fuel that they consume to live a big, vibrant life, and I can't imagine better work for me. Well, I consider myself one of your students, and I, I definitely feel like it's interesting how um, I think I think you mentioned earlier how the problem can become the or the maybe is the the answer becomes the problem because I feel like in some ways uncovering the solution to this one area, you know, eating has opened up a lot of avenues for me. So it's kind mm. of interesting to see how that applies. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's wonderful. So how can people find you online? The easiest way is to go to amihungry.com, A-M-I-H-U-N-G-R-Y.com. So the question, am I hungry? And on that website, we have loads and loads of free resources. You can download the chapter of the first chapter of Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat free from the marketplace. I have loads of articles. I have handouts for health professionals there. Um, we do articles and blog posts and all kinds of things. So, you know, really I'm about helping open people's eyes to these ideas and concepts. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to visit amihungry.com to look for that. Wonderful, Michelle. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, I loved it. Thanks, Marley. Thanks to Dr. Michelle May for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head over to the show notes page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you're loving the Namely Marley podcast. If so, it would mean the world to me if you'd head over to iTunes and give it a review. 
Also, you can spread the word about the Namely Marley podcast on Twitter or Instagram or even Facebook. Your shout outs really mean a lot. You inspire me. So I hope today's show was helpful and inspirational to you as well. Thanks for listening and have a great week.